You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gaming the System. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's two up top. That means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Matthew. So Matthew, how have you been since we last spoke? I have been absolutely fantastic. Um, partly as a result of the as a result of the Fulham scores, which um, we discussed off thirteen in the space of the, in the space of the last two games could easily be twenty by the time we're done with Birmingham City um, tonight. And on a sort of personal level, we've just got a foot of snow over in Pittsburgh, and I'm very much a fan of the snow. So yeah, it's it's all been pretty good uh, the past couple of days. Can't really complain. What a week you're having! Very very quickly before we. St- start chatting all things Premier League, the Championship, those 13 goals, how important are they going to be in terms of goal difference? Because that's an extra point in itself, isn't it? I think it is. I think that's probably been the thing that set us far apart this season. I haven't looked at the table recently, but I know we're top. I think our goal difference is like 50 something and uh, the next the team below us is, on, is like somewhere in the 20s so as you say there's an there's being an extra point ahead but the way that we've done it is just absolutely superb well fingers crossed you get over the line come may also with a bit of squad rotation this week it means you're joined by the return of villa fan neil neil it's a pleasure to chat to you once more how has 2022 treated you so far it's been great. 2022 has been fantastic. Um, lots of ups, lots of downs, lots of facing Manchester United as an <laughs> Aston Villa fan. It's just, it feels a bit like Groundhog Day at times. Uh, but thankfully, that uh, that triumvirate of games, or, or sorry, that, that duo of games anyway, at least is over. And we don't have to worry about Manchester United now for the rest of the year. Yes, that's now in the history book. So before we chat about that and everything else which has happened in the week, I best do the social media bits. I will be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. 
And if you want to become a shareholder, of which there are now 1,300 plus, all you need to do is follow and join our very Elite Members Club. Talking of clubs, I'm delighted to announce we're now part of the UK's first ever sports podcast network. That being Sports Social, you should check out the URL and all the links posted throughout the week on the Real Football Pod account. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so you move up the league table. Also, I need to mention my content partner, that being betting.com. For all the tips and predictions you'll ever need, go to that website. And the easiest way to find all the links is by going to linktree slash realfootballcast. But a dot between the R and the E, you get 10 podcast platforms to choose from. It's never been easier to listen to this show. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Well, we would have likely gone first to the North London Derby. But as we know by now, it didn't take place. Matthew, a postponement plea from Arsenal was accepted by the Premier League. The big question here, did the Gunners gain the system? I, I think they have gained the system. We, we talked about this um, last week, two weeks ago. I can't remember exactly when it was with the whole Liverpool situation and their... Um, their their because they had a number a number of cases whereas Arsenal I think it's it's come out they only just had the one yes um, the one COVID case and then there's the injuries in the African Cup of Nations so I think it is very much a case of they have gained the system because you 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 can't really find an excuse like even if Liverpool in the you know if we are giving Liverpool the greatest benefit of the doubt that they did have five at the time false positives to get you can understand five especially because you. You know, you want to try and reduce um, the risk because they had to ch- close the training ground and all that sort of stuff. You can understand that. But to do it for the case of just one, and then I saw add in the line of and the African Cup of Nations and injuries as well, it does very much come across of, as Arsenal have, you know, get as, as you like to say, gained, gained the system. And, you know, I, I think this is probably the, the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were. You know, there's always been these always murmurings about, oh, have the Premier League, have they done the rules too loosely? Should they I think this is probably the one, because the way Gary Neville, and we know the, the influence that Sky and Sky pundits and what they say, especially someone like Gary Neville, now that he's going into the political sphere, what the influence he has on the game, especially because he's in contact with all various things. I think this might just be one that, you know, brings the camera. Again, I doubt, I doubt that COVID rules and everything are going to be a thing next year because I think we'll probably, hopefully, be in a situation by the time August rolls around that everything will be great. But it does seem like if we are in this situation that this is going to be the game that they look at and think, right, next year we're making the rules all the tougher. So if you can't get a squad together, either force your under-23s out or the under-16s or forfeit the game. I think this is probably the one game where we think, right, now a line has definitely been crossed. Because, Neil, not only that, but the situation seems to be getting more absurd by the day because Arsenal were pleading, oh, we've got no players and all this, but now they've loaned out Pablo Mari to Udinese, which means they've got one less player than they had at the weekend. And now they're saying that they might not be able to stage their Carabao Cup second leg semi-final tie on Thursday. So, surely, they're kind of to blame here and why have they been absolved by the Premier League? That's a million... That's the six million dollar question, Dan. It's like... I don't... I'm going to be really honest about it. I kind of tuned out from the whole situation pretty much after there was... The, like like every team that is that, that that's calling off a game now is under question, and sometimes there's big questions being asked. Like you know, the second that uh, Burnley sell Chris Wood, and I know I'm jumping on to a completely different game. The second Burnley sell Chris Wood, they put in a plea to to see if they can get their game called off. Now, um, 
there's there may be no correlation between the two of those, but there may be some correlation between between the two of those as well. And does that give Burnley extra time then to go away and purchase a new striker, have embedded in? Does it give them time to maybe Cornet comes back from the from the African Nations Cup? And I think that that's the problem here. I think a lot of clubs are seeing a loophole or an area here or an opportunity, as you guys have mentioned previously, to. Okay, we've got players who are out at the Afcon, and maybe if we can get them back, because you know it's 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 going to be over in in like another two weeks' time, uh, or and some players will be coming back within the next week. If we can get that over, get them back, make sure that they're negative, and get them back into the team, well, then we've mitigated the offset that not having them would have had. And for some team like, and I know I'm I'm moving from Arsenal to Burnley, but you could say the same about Arsenal, some of the players that they've had. But for Burnley specifically, getting someone like Cornet back into the team is huge for them, considering the predicament that they're in. But to answer your question, the the, the Premier League have made this rod for their own back. Uh, they have very rarely refused a request um, for any game. I can't think of any that come to mind. I'm sure there is one or two. And they had the opportunity. We were speaking about this prior to Christmas. They had the opportunity to have a two-week shutdown, to move the, the off weeks for teams and standardise them all in a one, two-week break where they could have the infamous... Um, uh, Christmas break or winter break that Jurgen Klopp has been calling for an awful lot. They didn't do that and now they are left to pick up the pieces of what's happened. You can't have one rule for one and one, one rule for the other Well, they do in a lot of other areas but for, for COVID specifically if you can uh, adhere to, to the protocol that they've put in place with regards to uh, precedent and standardisation of getting games called off they're going to call games off and going back to the specific piece about Arsenal, that is really interesting, and it didn't really cross my mind until you mentioned it. They've just gotten rid of a player that they weren't going to play anyway, and is clearly fit enough to play. And, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It really, really doesn't make any sense. And and, and to be honest with you, as I say, I, I've kind of checked out an awful lot of the COVID, COVID cancellation side of things. If games are on, they're on. If they're off, they're off. And I think really the people that I feel most sorry for are the fans that wake up on a Saturday morning to find out games are caught off at like nine o'clock and so on. And and it just it, it there needs to be a line drawn under it somewhere. I'm I started off being a big fan of the integrity of the league is very important, and we need the teams need to have a good team to go out and play and you can't be playing the under 23s. Now I'm at the stage where I'm thinking that if there are, if the system is going to be gamed, if there's false positives, if in Arsenal's case, there was only one positive, you know, they're not mitigating factors specifically when all these seem to be coinciding with a lot of players. And you're seeing it within, um, uh, press briefings to say, uh, that the game is called left due to COVID and AFCON representation. That should be completely separate. And that shouldn't be a reason why a game should be called off for me. Well, Granit Xhaka getting sent off against Liverpool seemingly tipped the balance. And why are suspensions <laughs> getting put into this melting pot of AFCON? It just makes no sense. But Matthew, let's take Leeds as a much better example. The Bastions of doing everything right this weekend because they had, I think, five teenagers on the bench, maybe more. I can't remember the exact figure, but a lot. And Marcelo Bielsa would have had every right to go into the Premier League and say, I can't do this fixture, I can't play, I haven't got the squad. However, you have to give him all the credit in the world because he said, right, we're going to play this and they got the just rewards. I love the fact that you put in the, the Bastions of Rogers just this weekend, <laughs> knowing what Leeds United have got in their past with Derby County and all that. I, I do like that little stuff. But yeah, I do think it is it is a credit to a credit to Leeds, you know, how many people growing up would have ever would have ever thought we'd be saying that. But yeah, the fact that yeah, especially in the situation that they're in, where relegation is a real possibility for Leeds. I know they've sort of pulled away pulled away a little bit recently, but you know, a couple of weeks ago, relegation was 
looked a distinct possibility for them. So the fact that they are willing to go out with these young players, with uh, there's Gray, who's like uh, related to Leeds legend Eddie Gray. There's Lewis Bate coming through, the, uh, Joe Gellhart as well. All these young players coming in, they're giving they're giving it a go. They're not using it as as an excuse. I think, although, well, right now, I think they did manage to get a couple of their games called off over Christmas. But now again, it just comes to Maybe they were just their situation was, was just so dire, but now at least they're in a they're in a level of you know we we can we can get something out of this so we'll play the game rather than you know play to you know, rather than play play to our advantage. So it it does show that you know you can put a side out there and especially given the fact they played West Ham, you are you know flying themselves at the top uh, near the top of the table. It shows that even if you are putting together a thread not quite threadbare but even a weakened squad you can still go out there and and get and get a result so it just goes to show that you know maybe these clubs shouldn't be shouldn't be so quick uh to call to call their games off because there are results and there are points um available for them out there well this is it neil that's the flip side to all of this in that i guess the mindset is from a club's point of view if we're weakened we're going to lose however young players will be given an opportunity they might not get for a long, long time. They might look at this and think, this is our chance to shine. Exactly what happened for Leeds against West Ham. So, I know it's easy to say from a football fan's point of view, but why aren't clubs stepping up to the plate? This is why we have 25-man squads. This is why we have under-23s. Surely, it's now a case of just play the fixtures. And that's exactly it. You go on Twitter, Dan, and you see every single club's fan base is raving about this player and that player. You see Arsenal in the... In the, the uh, the, the the Carabao Cup and they were playing they played younger players at certain certain times in that cup and they got rave reviews and some of them scored I'm blanking on his name but he's the next prodigious player out of Arsenal's academy and uh, you know it, it it does beg to reason that why why you can't bring in two or three those into into at least a match day squad maybe if you have to start two what about it you know it's that's what they're there for the academies aren't just glorified. Um, ways of making money back to cover their own costs and a lot of Premier League teams use them as that you know Chelsea were criti- heavily criticised for years as using their academy for that um, you know not really bringing through their players and obviously they have in recent years with Ruben Loftus-Cheek and hudson Adoy and, and, and Reese James and stuff like that but you know Arsenal were the poster boy for playing kids under Wenger and, and, and integrating them into the team as were a lot of other teams in, in, in the league down, down through the years, even my own Aston Villa, we would be have, like a lot of the players that we would bring into the team are, are academy based and we're not afraid to put them in. The likes of Jaden Philogene Bades, who didn't make the, the squad because of injury, but we brought on, uh, we're, we're starting uh, Jacob Ramsey um, in midfield and he's thriving and he's growing. And two years ago, no one would have said he would have been, or three years ago, no one would have said he would have been Premier League quality. So, you're dead right. Like these players are there. They're well vaulted and they're used as prop as as as, as props almost for a fan base to get excited about by the clubs. But the clubs never throw them into action in the Premier League unless it's an absolute dead cert certain thing. So the growth mechanisms that clubs have through the academy and 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 where they actually want them to go, you find stagnation, and that's why only one percent of them make it. And it's not because one, only one percent of them are good enough. It's because teams would prefer to go out and buy somebody from from uh, a foreign league and parachute them in, who maybe has been given the chance in that league in that foreign league, parachute them into their team, as opposed to let their their players grow through the grow through the structures. And they should be allowed to do it. It's something that the FA have 
been criticised for previously as well, and it's something that when um, St George's Park was being was was being muted and 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 has been been um, heralded as you know an area where England could grow as a as 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 a you know a, a force in the on the international football scene. Well, why not enforce that within the Premier League and get these players more game time? Because the bigger pool of younger players you have coming through, the better you're going to be able to future-proof and manage your international team, never mind be able to manage your homegrown game and the game at large within the Premier League. So, to me, it's baffling. It's baffling whereby clubs will say one thing and do completely the opposite once given the opportunity to do so because they're protecting the bottom line and every Premier League place is worth however many million. And... Maybe that's why it is. Maybe it's the clubs are looking at it and going, the juice ain't worth the squeeze here, but we need to keep an academy force because fans love the he's one of our own aspect that comes through the academy. I, I don't know. It's it's really baffling. And it's, it's, to be honest with you, it's kind of disillusioning uh, at times to see it w- w- within the game. Well, Matthew, Burnley was mentioned and they have their game against Watford is now also called off for the second time, which you think, OK, well, that's bad enough. But also, more interestingly... Four games in hand they have over Newcastle. Now, we're getting to the point where we're in the middle of January. There are about four months of the season left. There's not many spare dates. Burnley are going to have to start squeezing these games in. And this is the point where we're kind of thinking, is the integrity of the relegation battle now in danger? Because this could be, you know, a two, three times a week scenario in April, May. And Burnley might be sort of, they're not a big squad anyway. They could be absolutely knackered by that point, And that could be the difference between relegation and survival. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, and that's why I know a lot of Newcastle fans aren't exactly um, happy about the fact that they will have four games um, in hand um, over, over the Burnley. Will have four games in hand over Newcastle because yeah, yeah it's still. Yeah. But I've but I've always said that I would still rather have the points on the board rather than games in hand because you know what you have with the points on the board. Yeah, you don't know what you have with the games in hand, and yeah, as you said, there is going to be the time where you think Burnley do they have the squad capable to go. You know, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. You know, in theory, for two months, for two months straight. Because I know there's there's another international break coming up at some point as there well. I think March. I think in March. So they so they got to squeeze them in at some point. So I don't know whether or not is it, it's a case of integrity being questioned because it's still this this it's still they're still they've still got to play each team twice, as it were. And in effect, it's you know it's Burnley have made a rock with their own bag. You know, they could have played. They could have you know. As I said, now as I said with Leeds United, they could have played a game, you know, put the youngsters out against Watford, who, let's be fair, aren't exactly the greatest side in the Premier League at the moment. For all we know, Burnley's Burnley side plus one or two youngsters could have been enough to get could have been enough to get a result over them. We don't know, but now they put themselves in the situation where they're going to have to sort it out themselves later on down the line. So I don't think it's really an integrity thing. I think the only way it would be integrity is if, you know. And, you know, of their four games in hand, one of them had to be forfeited and be given as a 3-0 loss to, or for a 3-0 win to either side. I think that's the only way you could really sort of question the integrity is if, if, is if none of, is if they had to forfeit one game out of the four and they weren't given the chance to get the points, as it were. I think so long as they get given the chance to play and they play the games, I think the integrity is, I think is still there because it's a problem that Burnley themselves have created rather than been forced upon them, as it were. Yeah, that's a fair point. But, Neil, in the same kind of Burnley mindset, four games in hand. Now, when you're at the top of the table or higher up, 
you have a habit of going, okay, well, four games in hand, we win all four, that's 12 points added onto our total, everything looks bright. However, when you're at the bottom, you kind of get a guide for what will happen because you've got such low points at the start. So you're kind of not really adding 12 points, nowhere near that, you know, four if you're lucky. So will Burnley be in the mindset of actually, yes, we've got games in hand, but as Matthew says, at that point at the table, you want points on the board, don't you? I can speak from personal experience when Villa were back in the league uh, first year back we were in that situation we had a game in hand um, on everyone else and we were sweating you know with other results that were going our way Watford were picking up points uh, Newcastle were picking up points uh, West Ham were picking up points and they were all teams that were in and around us never mind below us and we were sinking down through the league so you couldn't take we couldn't take anything for granted when we were looking at that and it was really um it was worrying really like we were really worried about we we don't have these points on the board the, the game in hand meant nothing to us it was the points on the board that meant something to us and that's ultimately you know what went a long way to keeping us up at that time um talk about the VAR decision all you want but uh, it, it's what kept us what ultimately went to keep us up an awful lot but uh, looking at Burnley Burnley can't take anything for granted uh, I think they're in a different situation though because they've got a unique manager they've got a manager who is very much a uh, a rah-rah type um, you know can instill steel and fire into bellies and I think their predicament that they're in at the moment, having four points, they will go out and see those as must not lose as opposed to must win games because um, while they're with, like their, their small squad is going to be what's going to kill them in those games, but they can dig in, they can get steely, they can force a draw when you least expect them. That's That's been their calling card over the course of their time in the Premier League. And I think that while it's not a tap that you can just turn on and off whenever you want, but it's something that Dyche can maybe dig out for them. So... The, the the thing for me is that they can't fall into the into the trap of thinking that their four must win games, as you said, you know, top of the league. They would say uh, twelve points from uh, from those. I think if Burnley looked at those and said, okay, right, these are must not lose games, and try and get a draw from them, and 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 just dig in and be as happy as we possibly can to get these points, I I think that's where they'll come from because um, it's it's going to be a slow ascent for them. You know, it's going to be a slow ascent back up the league from the bottom of the table. It's never nice to see your club at the bottom of the table, even from a mentality point of view for the players. It's never nice for them to be in the basement club. But as I said, the uniqueness of, of Sean Dyche, he's completely different to any other manager. He's just like a guy down the pub. And I think that, I think that his own kind of personal demeanour will... Will it's it, it's almost a benefit to them to have those games in hand and, and it will kind of drive their mindset when they go into those games as opposed to going in there and uh, thinking they have to go gung-ho to try and try and win one, if two, three of those games. You know, they, they'll know what they need to do and I think just getting a point from maybe two or three of those games would be something that uh, they, that would, be, would best serve them, I think. Okay, so COVID won't be going in a way, as we all know. So that story of games postponed is probably going to be a pertinent topic for another few weeks but there's another discussion point which is also pushed to the top of the agenda over the past couple of days that's Everton because they don't have a manager anymore because Rafa Benitez has been shown the door and Matthew after one win from 13 league attempts remember this is an Everton team that were fourth at one point his sacking was all but inevitable after that disastrous defeat to Norwich on Saturday 
Yeah, I think this this was a, a sacking that I think most fa- most you know, most football fans saw coming from a mile off. We know that given, I mean, it was always a bad uh, appointment from the start, given his given his relationship with Liverpool, and it, especially I mean, there, there's been some you know there's been some movement between Ever- between Everton and Liverpool, and some players in common and everything, but the toxicity that greeted. Rafa Benitez when he was going to be appointed as Everton manager, you know, the whole um, Everton fans with the banners, we know where you live sort of thing. It just took on a whole different level to it because of his because of his comments on Everton are a small club or worse the effect of the, they said at the time. Um, so it was never going to be right. And it, it gave the Everton owners to an extent uh, an out, as it were, that if things were going wrong, it wouldn't it wouldn't wouldn't take too long for fan sentiment to sort of get on top of Benitez and for them to say, right, the fans obviously really don't like this. Let's just get shot of him. Um, obviously, performances on the pitch as well probably probably didn't help. You know, the fact they are 16th at the moment, as you said, they were fourth at a time earlier in that a time earlier in the season. And that's just really not up to, you know, Everton standards, as it were, you know, given where they've been, especially if they've been knocking on the door for Europe for the past couple of seasons. So it just didn't look that it would be, um, it was going to get any, it was going to get solved any point soon or there was going to be any drastic change of form. So it made sense for them to get rid of them, but this was never anything that was going to work out. And they really shouldn't have been in this situation in the first place because it was a bad appointment right from the start. Well, Neil, if we take Saturday's performance as the kind of microcosm of how bad Everton have been as of late, it just looked like a team which has been stripped of its confidence under their now former manager. So many basic and fundamental errors taking place. It looked like a team without a clue. If you took the team which you thought was bottom of the table, it would be Everton and not Norwich on Saturday. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the, it, it's uh, we spoke about this once again just before Christmas. We spoke about the old Rafa Benitez conundrum with Everton and some substitutions he had made, and you know trusting Salomon Rondon uh, in, in the side, which uh, was was his prerogative at the time. But uh, they don't look like they do the do the basics right. You could see that. You know, all wasn't rosy in the garden, and Rafa Benitez even said after the after he got sacked that not only had he to win games, he had to win over a lot of people. And once again, I, I started off my answer to the last question saying I've got knowledge of what it feels to be like that. Well, we've profited from the fallout of Rafa Benitez and Everton by signing Luca Dina. And also, you know, it's that we play Everton next in the league. So we're very much entwined with regards to the future of Everton or the future fortunes in the, in the near future of Everton as well. But like, it must have been a really toxic situation uh, from the fan base, as as, uh, as Matthew said there previously. They didn't want him from day one. Um, to have somebody who was at times captain of the club to be so very vociferous against him, to you know be uh, relegated to a bit part player since the start of December and to come out so critically of him in his Instagram post when he announced that he was signing for Aston Villa that just shows that there's that there's no belief in that squad or there was no belief in the man at the top in that squad and uh, whether you agree with that or not players downing tools it's it's very very hard to come back from that and I hate the phrase lose the dressing room but you know when you looked at the game at the weekend Everton versus Norwich uh, Norwich were 
you know, they were they were the Pharaoh played them. You know, they got some great performances. Madamida, Irish Irish international striker who hasn't really had the greatest run of it. He had his best game in an orange shirt in a long, long time. Probably his best game in an orange shirt uh, at the weekend. And, and and he's a young player and he's coming through. And Dean Smith's come into Norwich. He's gotten a few wins when people didn't think he really would have. And traditionally, since he, since Dean Smith's been in the league, and once again, I speak of this as having knowledge of Dean Smith, he's had Everton's number as well in with regards to draws and getting wins out of games against Everton. So if you were to write maybe a manager that they didn't really want to come up against in a game where they really had to win, Dean Smith would be one of those because he's just had the the, the, the kind of the, the look of the draw against Everton. And uh, it showed at the weekend because... They were by far and away the more dominant team and they did the basics right and, and, and it showed in the field with that 2-1 win. Matthew, when we look back at the last couple of months at Everton, it's been nothing short of a mess behind the scenes as well. Marcel Brands gets outed in a power struggle after him and Benitez supposedly have a falling out. So he goes. Benitez falls out of Luca Dean. Luca Dean goes to Villa. Benitez is then backed by Fahad Mashiri, saying, you know, the vote of confidence and all that, the dreaded vote of confidence, and now Everton are without a manager. So it's just been a really messy couple of months, and you feel like this club is going backwards. They always talk about going through the glass ceiling and being one of the, the top six or making it a top seven. They are absolutely nowhere near that at the moment. No, they're not, and it's a shame because West Ham United were for years, uh, you know, a model of stability when you look at, you know, Back in the the days of David Moyes, and then even to an even to an extent under Roberto Martinez, you didn't really see much in terms of chaos or disorder or anything like that. It was you know, the results may have not been great, but there was at least stability. And everyone knew what they were doing. But now it does just see. I think I think it's partly due to how much uh, Mashiri has spent over the years. And, you know, everything sort of catching up with them. Is it like? I, Swear so five hundred million pounds over six years or something. It's absolutely yeah, outrageous. half a billion. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I say ridiculous fees in modern footballing world. It's probably pretty reasonable. Um, but the fact that they've spent so much and have got so little in return, then they're always just sort of chasing themselves of, oh, we've got to make a change because we've got to make this valuation worth it. Oh, but that's not working. So we've got to make a change here. So I think it's probably as a result of that because I think I was reading somewhere that they may have. Uh, financial fair play implications coming up the line, not quite the level of like a Derby County sort of thing, but some problems coming up the line with, with how much they've spent. So I think it is just a level of panic, as it were. They've got to try and get themselves back to that that stable level, but because they've spent so much, then they've got to do things sort of cack-handedly, as it were. So so certainly a, a level of chaos that you know, pretty much resolves. Uh, revolves all around the the money that has not been well spent. Well, Neil, I believe it's six managers in six years since Fahad Mashiri took over, or at least become an investor to start with, and now he's the majority shareholder. As Matthew says, this kind of trigger-happy stance at Goodison is not helping Everton at all. You know, obviously, money being spent is great because it it's a owner which wants to support the club. But when you look at the the spend of who's come into that club during that time. It's a catalogue of waste. It's a horrendous list of overpriced players who are not quite over the hill, but the selling club have been rubbing their hands with Glenn for how on earth have we got this amount of money out of for that player? So where do Everton go from here? Because everyone always says, oh, you know, they're always going to be a Premier League team. They're fine. But they can't keep being this bad and going this backwards. You know, there will be a day if they don't improve that they will go down. Is that day going to be soon or will a new manager be able to steady the ship? I think a new manager will be able to steady the ship. The 
there was just, there's still some good players there. I, I, I genuinely believe that the air in that club was just was just rotten, and 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 maybe a lot of it comes from comes from the uh, the ch- the chairman as well or the owner of the club and the fact that he is so trigger happy. But you know there are some very there are some really good players there. You know uh, you you can't tell me that Calvert Lewin that Dakura that Richarlison even Rondon Andre Gomez Keane Godfrey uh, Mikolenko the the left back that they signed to replace Luca Dean who is a very good player. He was really really good in in, in um in the Euros recently as well in Yerimina you can cobble together a team there that can comfortably finish mid-table but you can only do that if you can pull their um, I suppose their egos up off the floor you can pull the the, 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 the morale in the dressing room up off the floor and I think, I think it's going to be a really important appointment because maybe I don't think they're going to go down. I just think that there's three worse teams than them you know and, and sadly a lot of the years in the Premier League that's what it comes down to. It's not about having a team that battles and fights to stay up. When we stayed up, there was just three worse teams than us in, in the league, and we probably didn't deserve to stay up, you know, in that that year. But it comes down to three worse teams more than you. And I, and I don't think there are three worse teams than Everton. But Mashiri, as you said, he's had six and six years, six managers in six years, and every time he's thought that he's got the appointment right. And when does the finger start pointing away from you and pointing to you, you know, in that situation? So there's going to be a lot of eyes, eyes on him. It's talks that they couldn't agree a two million um, compensation fee with Belgium for Martinez. Don't know how true that is. There's also a Sky Sports ticker running across the line today to say that both Frank Lampard and Wayne Rooney are in the running for the manager. Um, uh, And to be honest with you, if you were to say to me nearly 10 weeks ago, if that was the right or the wrong decision, I would have have said it was the wrong decision. But seeing the way that Stephen Gerrard has come into our club and brought a team with him, it would all depend on the team that would come in there with him. And maybe Rooney might be the man that might be able to steady that ship and and, and progress it forward. But I think what's going in their favour is that they have cleared out all the backroom team, even though they've gotten they've gotten rid of uh, the sports scientist and so on and all those other guys that you mentioned. You know, maybe an operational switch from top to bottom that is led by a new team manager that comes in there and maybe has a say on the operational structure and maybe takes stuff out of the hands of the owner might be the best thing that they could do. But can they stay up? I think that they will stay up. Um, I think it's kind kind of cool that they've never been relegated. And uh, that means an awful lot to their fan base. So I think that the club will understand that. And even if they have a poor, poor season and finish 17th, um, that that would be okay for the fan base. Granted that they don't get relegated, as I say, being being one of the things that they value so dear. Matthew, Frank Lampard was mentioned there. And we mention him quite often in terms of timing and when is he going to get back in the bloody game and all that. But... Could this be the perfect opportunity? Because he's kind of thumbed his nose at a couple of vacancies and thought, oh, I'm a bit above that. Could Everton be the perfect job after Chelsea? I think that I think that does come across as, again, the perfect job. Because, again, as um, as Neil said, he's, it's, they're not going to... I don't think they're going to get relegated. I think there is, there's, there's enough there for them to build around. And obviously with teams being worse than them, um, I think there's, there's enough room there that, they, that they will, they'll be able to stay away from relegation. So... If he could just come in and steady the ship, as it were, for these first few months, and then again start to build himself, because he didn't do a bad job at Chelsea. I, yeah, it was just, just, it just wasn't good enough in Roman Abramovich's eyes, because because we know what they're what they're like. But I think club like Everton. So I remember Aston Villa being talked about um, as a possible destination, and I thought that was that was a pretty good 
a good idea as well. I did the size of the club as well, what they were looking to do going forward. It seemed like the it seemed like the right fit. A level below Chelsea, but a club on the up. I think that's probably what you could what you can um uh, um assign to Everton as well. Uh, a little bit below the the top six as it were, but a club that with the potential and with the run manager it can be on the up, especially with the right investment, assuming they start to throw the money around sensibly this time. So I think that is probably somewhere where you'd think, yeah, possibly could be could be something. And the best bit, of course, um, if he turns out to be a, a three or four year appointment, then two or three years down the line, when Steven Gerrard inevitably takes over at um, Liverpool, then we got the Frank, uh, we got the Lampard Gerrard debate once again, um, sharing the same city, which I think would be a, a fun little dynamic to add into the whole thing. Yeah, I didn't even Not think... a fan of that, Matthew. Not a fan <laughs> of that. Oh, it's, it's been poo-pooed by Neil. But I like it, Matthew. It's a good long-term thinking there. But let's go to the title race now. And you have to say it's down to two horses at best, really. One, if we're being honest. But, Matthew, Chelsea suffered a defeat to Man City on Saturday at the Etihad. A 12th league win in a row for the Light Blues. You'd have to say it was very much deserved on Saturday lunchtime. Yeah, it was. It's, it's it was just one of those games where you think, oh, you know, we call it a title, a title six pointer, and I think that you know, pretty much title decider. I think because that probably does put Manchester. I think it's, it certainly eliminates Chelsea. Yes. I think from the from the from the title from the title debate. Now they're thirteen points behind Liverpool because they've got a game in hand, and I think they've I think they've still got to play Man City at some point. So there is the potential for that gap to be closed. But you just think, given what. Pep Guardiola and what Manchester City sides can be like. You you genuinely would not be surprised if they did not lose if they did not lose another game this season because we know what they like and we know what they're what they're capable of. So I think it certainly eliminates Chelsea. Liverpool are probably in with a in with a shout, but they do have to win that game in hand and beat and beat Manchester City when that game comes around. Other than that, I think it's it's game over. But yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly deserved because. It, it 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 does just come to the point of right now. Let, it's what we've said for the past couple of years. Let's wrap the side title up as soon as we can because we know we've got the Champions League to focus on as well. So I want that wrapped up as soon as possible so we can get you know put some bodies and make that the main focus. So that will be Pep Guardiola's you know mantra moving forward. Neil, I'll ask you the question: Do you enjoy watching Manchester City as a dominant force, or has it all got a bit too samey for you over the past couple of years? Let's kind of strip out the. They won the football lottery before Newcastle and got rich and that kind of, you know, financial aspect. But from our kind of almost footballing robots that they're so clinical and they're so good at what they do, is that something that you take interest in or is it a case of the same old, same old? I I think this is my first year really kind of looking at Man City and going on at them again, if that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, maybe you might, maybe it might just be the fact that you know, Jack Grealish joined them for 100 million in, in in the off season. Jack Grealish is barely getting even getting a game, and the fact that when you look at that and you go, "Well, what does that spell for years down the line if they can just blow 100 million on a player?" And I know he's been injured, but you know, doesn't fit into the system. Fine, we won't play him into form. We'll play somebody else in his place. So just the the, the wealth of riches there is it's it's unparalleled in in world football that they have. Um, it's uh, the the like you can't make a mistake. You cannot make a mistake in your pursuit of Manchester City this season. Uh, Liverpool, they they, uh, they had a draw, lost, and a draw there over the last couple of couple of weeks, and that's killed the title season. You know that's not fun for any fan. That's not fun for any fan at all to see that just one little slip up over a three week period, and the season's 
gone from a from a from a title battle point of view, and and you know if one slip up over one period of time kills it off that easily, there's a bit of a problem in the league if that's the case. And it's just that Man City have they just have they have the best players, they have the best coach, they have the most money. Everything's just falling into line for them. And if you want to ask me, is that boring? Yeah, it is. It, it's and it's as boring as it was when Manchester United had the best had the best manager and they had the best players and they had the best they had the biggest stadium. Therefore, they were putting in the most amount of money back in the the late nineties. You know, it's it's getting as boring as that. And you know, put it this way, I'd love to be in the position myself as an Aston Villa fan if we were to rock it up the table and 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 solidify ourselves up there. But you know, for for the spectacle itself. It's good for what it is, and they play some nice football. But you know, you really need to see them being challenged. And 22 games in to be nine points ahead of Liverpool, who are a fantastic team in their own right, and arguably have the best player in the world in Salah at the moment. That just shows how difficult it is. Well, Matthew, this is it, isn't it? Because City have changed the game in terms of how to win a title. Because before, you could draw games and you could coast along, and you'd have two or three horses in the race. Now it's literally win or bust. You know, drop points are really punished by City. So. This isn't a stick to beat City with. It's not, oh, City are ruining the Premier League. As Neil rightly says, the same sentiment was there for Man United. It's just, we need some form of challenge. We're going down that one-horse race territory again, but there's no one stepping up, is there? You know, this season, nothing has changed. You kind of look at the next couple of seasons and will Salah and Mane still be at Liverpool? Will they get their houses in order? Can they rejuvenate? Because there's always a sense that Jurgen Klopp is squeezing everything out of Liverpool and doing wonders and how much this can continue. Tuchel wasn't quite sort of cracked the code in the Premier League. So is this cycle going to go on for as long as Pep's at the Etihad? I think I think it is, but then we do have to sort of wonder how long Pep has got has got at the has got at the Etihad because yeah. there's there's been there's been, he's sort of dropped subtle hints over the years that this might that this might be his last year and it's coming to his the end and you know he's I'm not going to say overstayed but I, when you look at his previous tenures. He doesn't. He hasn't really tended to stay more than four or five years, and he's getting. I think this is sixth year. I want to say at Man City. So he's he's been here longer than he has at other clubs. Let's just put it that way. So there is always that element of doubt. Just how long does he have left? And I think when he does win the champion, I think that is really the one thing they've got left is once he wins the Champions League, because that's all he was really brought in for was to get them over the line in the Champions League and win the biggest, you know, the biggest cup in uh, the biggest cup in uh, club football, as it were. So I think. When and if he gets that over the line, then it will be done. Then ugh, you you don't really know because you don't know who's really going to be overtaking. Because Pep Guardiola is in a class of his own. I know I have some criticism of him and the way he handles certain things, but Pep Guardiola is in that class of his own. So unless they replace him with you know whoever is basically directly underneath him, um, you talk the likes of Diego Simeone if you want to put him there or. Zindine Zidane or in that unless they go and get someone of that top level to keep it up then you never know what exactly is going to happen the next manager might be you know someone off the someone off the conveyor belt maybe maybe Patrick Vieira say not quite in the same level so he just brings them down rather than winning the title with 90 points or points in the 90s they start winning and they get to the 80s as it were so I think there is the possibility but as you say I think it's so long as Pep is in still in charge at the Etihad then you you know as Neil says you're not going to be able to afford too many slip-ups where Manchester City are. Um, I'll lead in the race. You know, the, the fact that they got 100 points and then 98 points in the you know, space of two seasons just shows you just how much they've got, you know, how hard it is to get 
you know the the standards that they've set and i don't think we're going to really see that from any you know from any other team ever again you know apart from that one season with liverpool i think he's just raised the bar so much now in terms of liverpool we talk about their supporting cast and the focus is on them this month with their two biggest names at afcon it's fair to say their supporting cast did exactly what was asked of them at the weekend as they made light work of brentford this is all they can do, though, isn't it? You know, just keep ticking over, hope that City drop points, but this might be wishful thinking at the same time. Yeah, um, you know, once again, the structure and the and the, and the system at Liverpool is what what can drag them through, even when they're without Salah and Mane. You know, uh, Fabinho steps up, Trent Alexander Arnold bangs one in. You know, um, or Trent Alexander Alexander Arnold has a great game, shall I say? Oxley Chamberlain comes out of nowhere. You know, so it's. Uh, um, it it it's not even a squad building with Liverpool because you know uh, Minamino is 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 somebody who's been only used sparingly. He was out in loan, if I'm not mistaken, last year as well. And he yeah. really hasn't lit up the Premier League, but for well, didn't lit up, lit up the Premier League last season. But he comes into that Liverpool team. He's all energy. He's all action, and he does the role he's told to do by Klopp. So. Uh, you know, we go back to talking about managers and Pep being the real driving force for Manchester City because they found it difficult to put together consistency over the previous managers. And um, Pep has brought that consistency, and and it's without a shadow of a doubt, Klopp has brought consistency to Liverpool. Albeit, when they did spend money at the start, that money has dried up now, and uh, they're still ploughing ahead with really good football, and they're a much better team to watch than ninety percent of the other teams in Europe as well because they play beautiful football and it's and it's end to end it's exciting and uh, even without their two top players in the team sorry two top probably goal scorers as I'd say would be a better way to, to put it they can still put up three goals against a really dogged and determined Brentford team who were coming off a 2-1 win at Aston Villa and had uh, you know have, have thrown up some results in the Premier League in their first year there as well so uh, Jürgen Klopp is a fantastic manager and, and, and it even just goes to highlight how far ahead Manchester City are that when you've got a generational manager like Klopp in the right situation at the right team with the right players to still be nine points behind a Manchester City team, it's 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 phenomenal. It's 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 mind blowing, really. To be honest, honest with you, but Liverpool will plug away. Man City when they when Man City lose, Liverpool have to win big and try and close that gap. And uh, as as I say, we're we're just over halfway there, and I think every Premier League football fan would be hoping that that happens. Whether it does or not, I don't know, but. Jurgen Klopp will still send his Liverpool team to go out there and win three or four nil is every opportunity they can, and that's why I like them because they don't go for they don't go out to win one nil or two nil. They go out to, to destroy teams, and uh, and there's 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 a uh, I suppose there's a right or overs feel about that as well to score as many goals as you possibly can. Neil, let's stay with you. We're going to Villa Park next because although it wasn't a win at the weekend, I'm sure you would have celebrated just as much as you came back from two nil down against Man United. I guess Stevie G would have had something to say at half-time because it wasn't a great 45 minutes, but a different team after the interval. Absolutely. First 45 minutes were... Uh, I think uh, I, I thought I was going to lose some teeth watching it. I was grinding my teeth so much. There was just so many things that we did wrong. It was sloppy. It was slow. It was respectful to Manchester United. And that was the thing that killed me the most. This is a team that we played three times over the last uh, two months. And... Uh, three months maybe, and and you know it was it was the respect that we gave them when they were at the, one of the lowest ebbs in the in their Premier League history, 
of course, we give we give away that really really silly first goal. Um, whatever you want to talk about it, the the free kick was borderline free kick, but it was given. We didn't react to it. We had players still trying to organise our defence. Nobody was looking up. Ball comes in, and then our goalkeeper drops it in between his legs. It was Lyle and Hardy stuff at times. Um, but saying that, our goalkeeper came out only five minutes later and 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 spread himself like like a you know like like, like a bed sheet and and stopped a great ball or a great shot later on so he picked himself up uh villa got themselves back into the game we were much the better team as the as the half finished and the second half started we came out of the traps really 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 strongly and um, then we pull out the gun again and shoot ourselves in the other foot because we'd shot ourselves in the first foot in the first half and then morgan sanson leaves a pass uh short and Bruno Fernandez skips in and batters one in off the bottom of the crossbar. That game was or that that goal was annoying for a lot of reasons. I suppose number one was it was our own fault. We made that goal against us to to a great degree. But the second one is, if you line up every single Aston Villa player that's ever played in the Premier League, and you get them to hit a hit a shot like that to go in like that, every single one of them go over the crossbar. You know, it was just one of those goals. He kicked it as hard as he could, and it just shot in off the crossbar, and that was galling. It was as an Aston Villa fan, you're sitting there and you're going, "Why do I do this to myself?" You know, big, big marquee game. New two new signings. Uh, signed the third highest or the, or the third most expensive player in the world. Philippe Coutinho comes in, and at this stage, you're kind of wondering, "What the hell do Aston Villa have to do to beat Manchester United or even to play against Manchester United? Are we that mentally weak against them?" And lo and behold, we bring on the little magician himself. And he comes in. And not only he comes in, but Kanye Chuck Mueka as well, who's somebody that there's been a lot of talk about in Aston Villa. We spoke, we spoke earlier in the podcast about trusting your youth players. Aston Villa are very much doing this in the Premier League. Um, Chuck Mueka, 18-year-old, uh, comes on, gives a really, really assured performance in the middle of midfield, allows our front players to go forward an awful lot more. And Chuck Mike is playing in a kind of a more withdrawn role that he's not really used to playing. He is a more of a number 10, number 8. But he comes in, he really steadies the ship inside there. Coutinho is just pretty much told, come on and run everywhere and try and get on the ball as much as you can and be a workhorse. And it works. We get the ball into the channels an awful lot more. We're running in between the defenders and the fullbacks. Um, you can see the ball for the second goal. Let's start with the second goal first. The ball that Amy Buendia plays is absolute chocolate. The way it goes in there, it is gorgeous. Uh, it comes to, to Jacob Ramsey, who plays the perfect ball across. And Philippe Coutinho gets his feet out from underneath him because he was almost going to overrun the ball and puts it into the back of the net to draw, to, draw it up 2-2. And even looking at the first goal as well, Coutinho gets into the box, creates pressure on Fred, gets that ball across to Jacob Ramsey and, and brings us back into the game. So I think the, the biggest thing that I want, to talk, I want to say about the game is, yes, Coutinho came on and we all collective sigh of relief from every Aston Villa fan. And, it, and, and looking at a half-fit, Coutinho come in there and pretty much grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck. But I think what the biggest thing here was that Steven Gerrard was able to make adjustments. And albeit they came... He was going to make adjustments just before we conceded the second goal. He still went with those adjustments, made them, took off Morgan Sanson, went more attacking, decided we were going to get get try and get it down the flanks an awful lot more and stop crossing the aimless balls into the box. Um, and then when we started to do that and play the ball into the box a small a bit more on the ground, 
you know, we had their defenders turning, specifically their centre halves, and we got great purchase out of it. So there's a lot of positives to be taken out of that second half, but also there's still a lot of skeletons and ghosts in our closet that we have to uh, exercise from the first half as well. Matthew, from a Manchester United point of view, they're going to look at that two points dropped, especially after being 2-0 up. However, with West Ham playing two games more, top four somehow still part of their equation. They're not playing great, are they? But they're in the mix. Although they're seventh, it's a little bit of a... I don't know if it's a false position or not, but they're not out of sight of the top four race at all. No, I think no, they're not absolutely. In, you know, especially with West Ham dropping points uh, home to Leeds United again, the, the the door the door has been open for them, and I think it's just a case of can Manchester United do enough to get themselves you know to get themselves over the line? Because let's let's not also discount um, uh, discount Arsenal out of out of all this as well. They are very they are very much in it, especially if they can keep up some of the some of the form they've had at points this season. But I do think it. it in a, in a sense, I think it is Manchester United to lose because I just think when you look at it on a man per man basis, I just think they've probably got more than the likes of uh, than the likes of Arsenal and West Ham, and they do have the X factor. I know he's not been th- as great as he can be at times this season, but when you have Cristiano Ronaldo in your side, you are always in with a chance of getting whatever it is, um, whatever it is you're trying to fight for. So I do think they are, probably do still have the advantage, but they can't afford many more. Know, many more games like this because that that uh, top four uh, fight is go- is going to be is going to be quite the fierce one. So they can't really afford to be dropping too many more points. Well, it almost says something of Tottenham really because I think they've got is it four games in hand over West Ham. So we spoke about Burnley earlier and their kind of shuffling of fixtures and trying to cram it all in. You've got to remember Burnley on in the FA Cup, whereas Tottenham are in the FA Cup. They could be out by the time they meet Brighton in the first week of February, but. Matthew, again, that creates its own problems, doesn't it? Because Tottenham are going to be in a bit of a bind in trying to cram in all their fixtures. So, you know, they're kind of in a good position if you do the maths of, oh, we've got four games in hand, we had 12 points. We could even be third. I think it's that silly. But then you look at the fixtures when they've got to be played and the teams are against, and all of a sudden, things aren't that simple. Yeah, indeed. I will admit, Tottenham have just been so too far, you know, out of sight, out of mind with all the games that have been called well, off. Exactly. I forgot just I forgot just how <laughs> close they were. In the thing of it, you only you literally only just made me look at the table to realise, yeah, Tottenham again you can't you can't rule them out either. But again, it just comes back to, you know, will they really have do they have the strength and depth to go, you know, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for the lengths they did. And I know we discussed this when the decision came out, but now I can almost understand the uh, reluctance of some Spurs fans, as it were, to say, "Okay, we don't need the Europa Conference League this season." I was, I was, pers- I was personally against that whole notion. I think if you're in a competition, you go in to win it. But given the way things have panned out for them now, I'm not totally on board with it. But I can understand where a lot of those Spurs fans were coming with when it comes to this, because they they probably you know a couple of them probably foresaw that this was coming down the line. Thought mm, we can probably get. Probably get probably get rid of that one. So yeah, it's certainly going to be an interesting one for Spurs as well. But again, I do still wonder about the lack of depth because if Harry Kane gets himself with a little bit of a knock and he's out for you know three weeks, which could effectively be six games, then all of a sudden Spurs are really up a certain creek without a without a certain paddle. So yeah, it's going to be a risky one for them. Yeah, I think with Tottenham, as you say, with Europe, we can get away with all these fixtures not being played at the moment because there's no Europe. If there was both, I think we'd be in a right mess. You know, last season we were playing in that sort of early part of the season almost every two days, like literally, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, etc., etc. Nonsense. And I don't think we can sort of go down that route. So thankfully, that's not the case. But 
depth is another sort of question which we don't have time to talk about this week, but we certainly haven't got that. And Neil, Wolves, they're kind of lurking in the European shadows. They're not doing fantastic in the sense of where they were under Nuno, but they're kind of solid, aren't they? Really solid, if anything. And I think that solidity comes from Jose Sarr. You know, last season they had Rui Patricio. They won 3-1 on Saturday. You think it's a comfortable win, but if it wasn't for Jose Sarr, that could have been a completely different story. And I think, really, they've got an upgrading goal this time around. They did it again. They went back to Portugal and they got a man in that for you know to 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 suit them and to and to play within their uh, I suppose to play playing goals after losing uh, Rui Patricio exactly. But uh, they were a lot more assured on on uh, Saturday. Was it was a Saturday? I think yeah. it was. I can't remember. If it was Saturday or Sunday? They were a lot more assured there. Um, the, the funny thing about about Wolves is that you know it was always going to be a case that if they started scoring goals that they would. They, they they would start to move pretty rapidly, you know, back up to maybe their, the the top half of the league, maybe in eighth and ninth position. I don't think they're going to threaten the sixth, seventh position when 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 everything comes out in the wash afterwards. But um, goal scoring, I think, was massive for them. Um, they've gotten him and his back back. Uh, Trincao has started to play. Parents is back in there as well. Um, you know, holding on to some other players. I think over the course of this. Uh, this uh, transfer window will be important to them. Obviously, Adamatrori has been linked away from the club, but um, Bruno Lage is coming in there and he has really built it up from the back, you know, with with, uh, with Sa. And Sa has come in there and he's, you know, I think his numbers are outrageous. Is he the does he have the most saves or the second most saves behind De Gea? I think for within the league this season, and they've also paired that with Connor Cody's resurgence. He started to play a bit better there at the centre of that defence. Uh, Max Kilman is in there as well, and um, you know they've had they've had quite a lot of partners uh, in there with the two of those the two of those gentlemen in that in that backline, but. They're pretty. They're pretty solid uh, within that backline, and uh, Joe Moutinho must have. I don't know what the story is with him because, like, he never seems to get any older, and he still buzzes around the field for his seventy minutes, seventy-five minutes, and gets in around and gets his tackles and does really, really well. And he's another leader, and that's that's what's important with Wolves. You look at that Wolves team, and there's leaders. There's leaders in midfield: the Donker, Moutinho. You've got Conor Cody at the back. You've got Roman Sice when he's playing there. You've got uh, you've got Jose Sa. You know they have leaders within that team, and that leadership is is um, is very important in the field when uh, you know you're trying to dig in like Wolves have had to do sometimes this season because they haven't been getting goals at the other end of the field. So um, great win for them at the weekend, you know, against Southampton. And, uh, yeah, as I say, I, I think things are beginning to click into place for them, provided they don't lose a player or two during this transfer window, which has been muted. Matthew, Newcastle, they had safety, or at least the 17th place, in their hands with, what, three minutes to go on Saturday afternoon? However, a Yao Pedro equaliser put pay to that. How many more chances can Newcastle have in terms of getting safe? And is the Premier League rotten full of bad clubs at the very bottom when you consider they've won one game out of what 20 and they're still in reach of staying up does that say more about the clubs around them than them themselves I think it does say a lot about the clubs around them because in any other I don't want to say normal season but in most seasons when you have only won one game and it's in January then you you really do have to start asking questions about you know, you know, twelve, you know, twelve points in twenty games would see most teams pretty much preparing for relegation exactly. at this point. But as you said, with the likes of you know Watford, you know, with Watford hanging around and you know Everton, 
Everton with their thing. You, the fact that you can't really count Newcastle out of this state just to show how bad the Premier, how bad the Premier League is, and I think it just goes to show just how. I think we said it after their FA Cup defeat. You know, the fact they put out a strong side against Cambridge and still managed to lose was. Yeah, it's a symbol, a symbol, a symbolism that crikey, there is a lot of work to do. I think the same thing can be can be said after the after the draw of Watford. I think you no, know, on a mental side as well, the fact that you can't quite see that game out in the situation that is just shows just how desperate they are. That is, you know, two points drop that could mass, you know, that could massively uh, have a big, big outcome, uh, big outcome on the season. Yeah, I think that could be one of the biggest blown opportunities. I know they're spending money and they're trying to rejuvenate the squad, but they need wins. It's just every chance they have of getting a good result, it slips through their fingers. And I know they kind of keep giving, keep getting given all these extra lives, but surely if they're not making use of them, they will get punished in the end. Neil, very quickly, Friday night saw some Premier League football. Brighton versus Palace, another feisty affair once again. More late drama. I think this is the fourth game in a row in which there's been a decisive goal or goals in the last 10 minutes. Who should have won that one? I, I, I think Brighton. I, for, for me, I think Brighton should have won that game. That uh, you know, Crystal Palace had an awful lot to to thank Jack Butland for, and and I thought their two midfielders were fantastic. Obviously, Conor Gallagher and and, and Jeffrey Schlup as well. Um, but you know, Brighton led siege to their goal at times. You know, I think Trossard had something like five shots. Uh, they had a lot. They had multiple players that had uh, had multiple shots in that game as well. So you know, on a different day when their shooting boots were a bit better. Um, or if they're able to convert those, I think that uh, I, I I think that it would have been uh, you know out of sight come that time. But that's why they play football, and that's why you play your injury time, and that's why you've a goalkeeper. Or sorry, that's why you've got a, a referee in there making uh, keeping note of the time because um, you know it's 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 always an opportunity for uh, no matter what time uh, the the. Uh, the, no matter what way the game is going, should I say, you could always find yourself one nil down and then have to rely on an own goal in the last minute, no matter how many shots you have. So Brighton should really have 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 put that away, you know. With with, with I felt that they were they were a lot more dominant. The statistics showed are a lot more dominant, but uh, you know, in in a game like that 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 is a rival, two rival fan bases, two rival teams, there was a great atmosphere on TV for it. And uh, it was fitting for a Friday night game. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I always love a little bit of late drama as well, especially when it's, uh, when, when it's a team like that that have been, have been pushing forward for the majority of the game. Yeah, I would share that opinion. Good thing Max Palace fan isn't on the show because I don't think he would. So, Max, if you're listening, <laughs> I kind of apologise, but I don't really. But don't, don't hold it against us. I hope you'll be back next week. That brings us to full time on that slightly controversial note. So, Neil, a cracking effort this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one and you'd like to come back soon. Absolutely. No, really enjoy it. Really enjoy chatting to you guys about it and talking about teams other than Aston Villa. You know, it's uh, it, it, it's nice and cathartic to do that sometimes. Uh, so thank you very much for having me on. Not a problem. And Matthew, thank you for wearing the captain's armband this week. As always, a pleasure to chat to you once more. Yep, pleasure as always. Look forward to doing it again next week. Absolutely. Right. Cheers, guys. And also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time... Goodbye.
podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.